0: Welcome to another episode of Mission Compliance, unleashing growth potential for defense contractors. In today's episode, we continue down the road of understanding CMMC, its regulations, and its controls. Up next is AC.L2-3.1.5, employ the principle of least privilege, including for specific security functions and privileged accounts. We'll break down what this control means, why it matters, and how it impacts your organization's cybersecurity posture. We'll also provide practical insights and strategies for achieving compliance and securing your systems effectively. So whether you're a defense contractor aiming to win more contracts or simply someone interested in bolstering your cybersecurity knowledge, you're in the right place. Hit that intro. We're joined once again today by Mike Frieder, President of OnCall Compliance Solutions and a CMMC Professional Assessor. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Hey, always a pleasure, Ryan. So, Mike, today we're talking once again about organizational duties and assigned duties. This time, though, we're talking about access based on duties and the principle of least privilege. So, to start off, what what is the principle of least privilege and how does it, how, how is this different from just separating organizational duties?
1: Yeah, so, um, and and just, again, for the audience, I think separating of duties, again, involves the idea of, you know, just making sure that people don't wind up having overlapping duties that could potentially create a security issue. Um, So I think, you know, you have to make sure that, you know, someone who is in charge of, let's say, quality assurance uh, doesn't also wind up in a situation uh, where they are in charge of the actual production of the product, right? So we don't want conflicting uh, job roles. So um, with that
0: definition in mind, um, Roman, would you mind reading that question again for the audience? Sure. <laughs> what is what is the principle of least privilege and, and how is this different from separating organizational duties? Yeah, so the principle
1: of least privilege uh, deals with the idea that you should only have permissions and privileges to things in the system which are required to perform your currently assigned job duties. Uh, if you've got more access than that, then the reality is that it is quite possible for lots and lots of people to leak information by accident or on purpose uh, that you know the, the, the chances of a leak may just simply not be there if they didn't have access to that information. So again, having the least number of people able to access CUI or whatever the sense of information may be is a core principle of security. You really should only have access to do uh, what is allowed to be done in your current job role or job duties at that time. Um, Now, the the security functions are a little bit different. Security functions relate to what you can and can't do in the system. In other words, um, with a security function, Um, you have the ability to essentially perform certain things within a system. So maybe it's adding users, maybe it's uh, being able to access the accounting system as an administrator. Uh, And the idea is that you should only be able to technically do those security functions within a system uh, that you're authorized to do. So again, it talks about the idea of privileged accounts and, um, you know, basically when it comes to privileged accounts, only those privileged users uh, you know, that need them to perform their job duties, traditionally administrators, have those accounts, and that's the way that it's supposed to be.
0: Right, right. Now that we have made the distinction of the principle of least privilege and how to how to basically secure your organization by saying these are the responsibilities you have, so these are the accesses you need to have, what are the key assessment points that an assessor would look for on this one?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And just, to, and I'm sorry, I, I think on that first point, you know, least privilege means what do you have access to? Least, uh, least you know, what security functions you have means what can you do? What, what functions can you perform in a system? Um, for instance, giving permissions, you know, that, that might be a good example. So what are they looking for? What are the assessors looking for on this one? Number one, determine if privileged accounts are identified. So in other words, is there, you know, some way of identifying what accounts have uh, sort of above regular user privileges? And that's really easy in a Windows system, right? So we'll use that as a a classic answer. Uh, Privileged accounts are identified within Active Directory. Super easy. Active Directory's got security groups right in there. Um, And again, the idea is that you can very easily determine if someone has more than the traditional permissions through Active Directory, group policy, things like that next one, determine if access to privileged accounts is authorized in accordance with the principle of least privilege. So a lot of this may come down to interviews with your people and documentation. Uh, an answer may be privileged accounts are only granted based upon requirement of assigned job duties. Access to privileged accounts is only authorized through the IT ticketing system uh, by the organization's CIO exclusively. Now that's one example of how you could answer that, uh, is by using the IT ticketing system as a method of Uh, privileged access uh, verification, right? So is it authorized? Yes. Somebody put in a ticket and then the CIO answers the ticket and says, yes, okay, it's been done. Uh, I'm authorizing this. Third assessment point is determine if security functions are identified. Uh, And again, I think this is actually kind of an understated, uh, you know, aspect of the control, which is um, you should have security functions defined. You should have them defined uh, in Active Directory as a security group. Uh, and you can create customized security groups, you should also have them as a part of group policy and what policies are linked to what security groups. So uh, a sample answer might be security functions are identified via Active Directory access reviews. Uh, So again, saying that, look, uh, these things are done through Active Directory group policy, uh, but they are reviewed uh, at some periodic basis as to who has uh, access to what. And again, I think if you're not doing that annually as an IT person, IT director, um, that's a really good tip, which is people sometimes get access to things they just shouldn't uh, due to temporary situations. And uh, you should have an audit and review process for those in place in order to make sure that, well, you know, that doesn't accidentally uh, you know wind up causing a leak or excessive access. Final assessment point is determine if access to security functions is authorized in accordance with the principle of least privilege. So in other words, you should only have the least amount of privilege possible to do things. And then the question is um, do you have whatever the security functions are authorized in line with what you have privileges to Uh, very interesting It sort of ties it all together so access to security functions is only granted based on currently assigned job duties uh, by the organization's cio in this case now by the way your organization may not even have a cio it may be completely different than that answer but that's just a sample answer the idea really is is that once you've been granted access by the ceo you get the right security you get the right permissions to the information, and you've only got access to those things that you truly need to do, need to have access to, both from an information perspective and from what you can do in the system perspective, that is functionality, um, and that is the way that users should uh, sort of have their permissions run. So hopefully that's very, very helpful, but uh, but that's exactly what the assessors are looking for on that one.
0: You know, that's what we're looking for on these, where we specifically talk about controls. We We're looking for a step-by-step point-by-point breakdown to help our listeners or our viewers understand and if you need even more uh clarification we mike does cover these exact controls on our youtube channel uh, one at a time so there are there are 110 videos to be exact on these exact controls so this is another control revolving around limiting access to avoid risk and re- in an organization, this entire control family—I believe it's twenty-two controls—revolve around access control. That's why a lot of these are similar, but that—but that's the area that we're in right now. So, so and you've already mentioned this a little bit. What challenges might organizations face when trying to implement and enforce these this control effectively?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's two primary areas where we see violations of this control. Number one is IT people who don't have a regular user account and are only using their administrative account day to day. Um, there is a separate control specific to that, but not adhering to that rule will violate the idea of principle of least privilege uh, and, and uh, including for specific security functions, because again, you shouldn't be doing regular work in an administrative account. The administrative account should be there for escalations to do administrative things only. Um, even a lot of, again, tier, you know, really seasoned tier two uh, engineers, we see them violating that on a frequent basis. So I think that's very much worthwhile uh, mentioning. Um, there is there's a reason why that is. You want to be able to clearly identify when someone's been logged in that administrator account uh, without, um, you know, without having to, uh, you know, look very hard at the steam logs uh, to know that it wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't an authorized usage of it. So uh, another another example of that is we see all the time these big giant massive open file shares um it just kind of makes me cringe every time I see it because uh, I'll start asking questions and I'll say hey does you know Johnny and you know does the person at the front desk really need access to the quality assurance folder where all the reports are no of course not this guy answers the phones right He, he answers the door there's this person should not have that access and the problem when they do have that access is well you know what that's a that that could be anything from a long-term employee to a turnstile type of employee, right? I mean, they could frankly just not even be really doing much of anything, uh, you know, and so they may be a short timer at the company. So now you got somebody who you've only known for three, four months and they've got access to all kinds of defense information. Uh, and, and, you know, they're just going to walk off the job site sometimes and you don't know what's going on. So uh, I think that's one element of it. I think another element of it is just too many people having access to information and then changes get made and then we have no idea why uh, those changes may have potentially been made and, um, you know, or who did it or, you know, whatever it may be. So again, the less the headcount is that has access to information, the better it's going to be. And I think that's, uh, you know, again, very, very clear, you know, very, very clear scenarios where you just have too many people accessing information that's sensitive and is supposed to be controlled. So uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably the two most common scenarios. The final scenario is you know, somebody who can execute things in a system who shouldn't be able to execute them. So people who have been given some level of uh, security functionality where they really shouldn't have access to it. Again, an unauthorized person having access to change permissions is an example of that. Uh, again, only only a select few people should have that kind of permission. Uh, Same goes for each individual system. So lots and lots of examples of why this is so important. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's all about following the principle of controlling that information and who has access to it and making sure that that's as small a headcount as possible.
0: And look at that, Mike. You you unwittingly stepped right into our very next episode, which which we'll talk about um, using non-authorized accounts for for doing a lot of duties and only using authorized accounts for security purposes. But before we get to our next episode, we have to finish this episode. Before we finish this episode, we have to cover our favorite part of each episode, which is the silly question. And I came up with this one because I'm because I'm on a bit of a James Bond kick right now. So when we're talking about when we're talking about um separating of duties and this kind of thing and principle of least privilege and who has access to what Do you think James Bond falls victim to the principle of least privilege or or does he or or does his stature in MI6 warrant him access without risk?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Well, you know, there's a lot that James Bond doesn't have access to. So uh, I think that's a perfect example of access control. And, uh, you know, if you ask you, James Bond is not allowed to have access to many security related functions. So, uh, you know, that's a really great example, actually. I think that James Bond. And the idea of the secret agent, who certainly doesn't always know the whole story, but knows the piece of the story that needs to be executed on, is a great example of this control. James Bond gets missions. Uh, his goal is to go out there and accomplish the mission. Sometimes when James Bond gets too much information, well, then he goes a little too far in his mission and uh, starts uh, going rogue and doing crazy stuff and disappearing. So um, – you know, again, I think the other thing is that uh, you look at James Bond and he's got this directive that if things go sideways, you know, he needs to, you know, disappear. Right. So that's another example of, uh, you know, where those security functions come into play. So, um, yeah, it's that's really, uh, you know, it's a silly question, but it's a very great example of how to translate into real life. You know, not everybody needs access to all things. And you should be dependent upon other people in your organization for information transfer. And it all works uh, together really, really well. So, um, you know, I I think that's a a fantastic question uh, for this one. And we can always find a way to work some James Bond uh, into uh, into our podcast.
0: Always. I'm working my way backwards to the movies right now. So I'm on on Pierce Brosnan at the moment. But I think (laughs) when you're talking about mitigating risks and that kind of thing, if you ask if you ask him or q but probably q specifically james bond is the epitome of risk because every single time q makes him these cool gadgets and and he says bring the gadgets back in one piece and then james bond never does that's right so there's, so there's broken there, there's broken british intelligence technology all over the world because right. james bond just busts them up and then walks away <laughs>
1: That's right. James Bond and his information leaks. We don't, uh, we wouldn't trust James Bond to handle any CUI, that's for sure.
0: There you go. There you go. And that wraps up another great episode of Mission Compliance. We hope our discussion today has provided you with valuable insights, practical strategies, and inspiration to navigate the ever-evolving world of defense. We'd like to thank Mike for joining us and sharing another great episode's worth of valuable information for us on these controls. Thanks, Mike. Hey, always a pleasure, Roman. Great to see everybody. But the conversation doesn't end here. We encourage you to continue to explore these topics and connect with us on our social media channels. Share your thoughts, ask questions, and engage with fellow listeners by using the hashtag Mission Compliance Podcast. If if they haven't already, what should they do, Mike? Well, you got to like, subscribe, and make sure you comment to let us know what we're doing right out here. Go to your favorite podcast platform. And subscribe there to so, so that we can let you know when new episodes like this one are released. And we truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show. Your feedback helps us to continue to bring you thought-provoking episodes and high-quality content. Join us again on the next episode of Mission Compliance as we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and industry innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission. See you next time. Thanks, everybody.